We're continuing our, our series through the book of Matthew, and we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Uh, we are going to start at the end of Matthew chapter 19 and uh, read the last few verses there. And then we're going to go all the way through, I think it's chapter, uh, verse 28 and chapter 20 of Matthew. So it's a lot of ground. And uh, in the way that our, our, our Bibles break things up by chapter, and then they usually put little headers on sections, uh, it may not feel like these things all kind of go together and, uh, and, and are, are kind of a, a, a continual thought from Jesus or a continual conversation. But uh, I think there's so much to it that is, and so we'll, we'll hit that uh, today. Uh, this takes place where we're going to start reading in verse uh, 27 of chapter 19. This takes place immediately after what we talked about last week, and that was Jesus encountering this rich young ruler. And uh, so this is right on the heels of that. Uh, needless to say, that whole thing went way differently than the disciples probably had expected it. Uh, they were like, this, Jesus is out to seek to save, and he just ran this kid off and, and basically offended him and, uh, and, and did not give that kid an opportunity to really jump on board and continue this, this life of, of, of Christianity. He just basically <laughs> gave him a stop sign and says, you can't come in. Uh, Jesus all of a sudden was a bouncer, and he's like, nah, you, you're not going to get in here. And so uh, Peter... Um, who I give a hard time to Peter because he's impetuous and, and he, uh, he, he, he definitely speaks before he thinks. And, uh, and I give him a hard time, but he really is a gift from God because he represents all of us. And he actually asks the questions we're all thinking. He says the things that we're all thinking. And so he just has the boldness to actually just go on and ask it or say it. And so here he does that. And so Matthew nineteen twenty seven, Peter said in reply to this whole situation, uh, see... Uh, we have left everything, and we followed you. When then will we? Ha- what, what then will we have? And Jesus said to them, "Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands." For my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Um, so, Peter is saying, in so many words, is this going to pay off? And he's, he's, he's watching this happen with the rich young ruler. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, You need to sell everything and give it away to the poor. And so that's, he's seeing that's the price of admission. And so he's like, he's going through his mind. He's like, we kind of did that. I dropped my nets. I followed you. I dropped my life. I I left everything. And and even what's referenced here, Jesus saying people that lose their parents, they lose their brothers, their sisters, they lose community. A lot of that has to do with this was Christianity wasn't just like a a cute new religion. This was a, a huge disruption in modern Jewish people's lives, they have invested everything into being a, a, a good religious person under the Jewish religion, a, adhering to the law. And suddenly, here is this, this, this guy who just out of nowhere says, hey, I'm the son of God, I'm the Messiah, and what I want you to do is now follow me. 
and then there was a lot of tension between him and the religious leaders because he's healing and doing stuff on the Sabbath. There's all kinds of scandal going on. And so here are people who are choosing to follow Jesus. Therefore, their families are cutting them off and saying, we're not family anymore. You're dead to me. And so they're choosing Jesus over family, over friends, over careers. They're losing their livelihoods because a lot of their, their, their occupations were based on family lineage and taking over the family, uh, the family business and then dealing in communities that were like them, that shared the same values. And suddenly these people are completely off the rocker and we want nothing to do with them. So it's kind of like when two members of the same family vote differently. I'm just going to leave that there. So, uh, only worse. But this was, this was very uh, tense for uh, these guys. These sort of, the, the pilot program of Christianity. These 12 uh, ragtag ragamuffins. And so, they are saying, we've done it. We've done that. We left everything. We lost everything. Is this going to ultimately pay off? Because it's not as fun as advertised. This has not been as, as easy as I wanted it to be. And so Jesus says, yes, absolutely. This is going to be so worth it for everyone that loses anything. This is, this is going to pay off a hundredfold. This is going to be so much better than you can ever sit and dream and imagine. And then specifically he says to Peter, I will have my glorious throne. And then you, my guys, my disciples, are going to, they're going to rule alongside me. They're going to oversee the new Jerusalem with me. And then the new heaven, the new earth, they're going to oversee the new Jerusalem with me. And you're going to be elevated. You're going to have status. You're going to be, have this important role in my new kingdom and these 12 tribes the, he's renewing the 12 tribes of Israel and you're going to help oversee that you're going to be part of my leadership team and so he says that and then he ends with this, this quote many who are first will be last and the last will be first he continues that thought so he makes the statement and then the next chapter chapter 20 he starts a parable and this parable is for the sole purpose of illustrating that last sentence. He is, he's painting a picture of what it looks like and what it's really truly like to be for the first to be last, last to be first. So this is how chapter 20 starts. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius uh, a day... He sent them into his vineyard, and then going out uh, about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, uh, go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and then the ninth hour. He did the same. And about the eleventh hour, this is a twelve-hour workday, about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And then when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and then pay them their wages, beginning with the last, all the way up to the first. And when those hired about uh, the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired the first, hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled 
at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, and you have borne the burden of the day, uh, to us who have borne the burden of the day, and then the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? What, uh, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, again, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Uh, this story starts off pretty normal. Um, this is a, a normal practice, even to this day. Uh, there are uh, people called, that, that, that are referred to as day laborers. And so they would work for a day and receive a wage for the day. And so back then, same thing. People would look for day laborers to work for a day. Um, during certain seasons, they would obviously need more hands on, on uh, doing this job and doing this work. And so they would pull in more people who were just looking for a paycheck. And so they kept going back to the marketplace, or, you know, the town square, finding more and more people uh, to, to, make this, to knock this out, to make this happen. So this is pretty normal uh, for a vineyard owner to do, and, uh, and, and, but then the story has kind of a twist ending. It's kind of like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, we, we have the pay line at the end, and, uh, and for whatever reason, the landowner starts with the last people to pay them first. And you realize if, if, this, if they started with the first people who had gotten there, and they went in progression, that none, no controversy would have happened. That no one would have known what the, the guys at the end, the last people, received. But he purposely started with the people who got there last for a reason, to create the controversy, <laughs> to, to make this tense. And so uh, you, you got a guy who was doing absolutely nothing all day, who has been standing idle, loitering, in the market, just just probably annoying the, the people, the shop owners, like, How's, the weather's nice, huh? Just like doing nothing. And so suddenly the foreman shows up. He's like, you guys want to work for an hour? All right. And so by then, what's left to do? Put the shovels away? I mean, what are we doing? An hour. And so the, the person who uh, made an arrangement with the landowner to work 12 hours was made an arrangement, said, okay, I will work 12 hours for a denarius. There was an arrangement. The, the, the Bible says here there was an arrangement made. It was agreed upon wage. And then that person saw the first, the last guy to get there receive a denarius. And he's thinking, this, the wage went up. This is awesome. So I'm going to get 12 denarius, denarii, denarii, no, 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 no. I don't know. I don't know the plural of denarius, but that, a lot of denarius is this. And so I'm going to get way more because I worked <laughs> way longer than that guy. And then the pay goes all the way down the line. And the guy that was there 12 hours got the exact same wage as Skippy, who showed up 11 hours later. Now, if we're honest and, and, and we stop pretending we're all super Christians, this story will tick you right off. I mean, this is infuriating. 
This is nonsense. <laughs> there's, there's so many uh, parables like, oh, that's nice. Parable of the sower. Yes, scattering seeds. How cute and quaint. Oh, yes, good soil. I want, Lord, make me good soil. Yes, Lord, till my heart. And then we read this one and we're like, that's kind of a jerky thing to do. Um, because we have sensibilities of what's right, what's wrong, what's fair. And, and this offends the fairness part of our brain. Uh, I, I remember this is one of the I, I hate even digging up this memory because it's so painful. Um, I was a teenager once. That's not the painful part. Well, part of it. Um, I was a teenager once. I might have been. I want to say I was 13, maybe 14, probably 13. And uh, there was a, an exciting youth retreat, which I lived for youth retreats. And uh, and so we would go to I think annually went to Gatlinburg. And uh, we go on this big youth retreat. And, uh, and so we, uh, it costs money. It was like a ski trip and staying in a hotel and all that stuff. It cost money. And so this, the church that I was part of uh, was uh, allowing some people to give uh, fundraising opportunities to these, these, these teenagers to raise funds to go to this youth retreat. And so there was a gentleman in the church that I belonged to uh, who owned a Christmas tree farm. And uh, he was, he, he, if you looked at him, if you saw him out in the wild, you would say, I bet that guy owns a Christmas tree farm. Because he looked like, he, he always wore a rope belt. I don't know why. I'm like, they make other ones. It's just a big bow tie there. And I'm like, okay, whatever keeps your pants up. So I, 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 this guy invited uh, a group. So I, I'm with my friends. And so we show up, there's probably, I don't know, six or six of us or so, and we show up there and we get there early and he's out in the middle of, you go past nowhere, 10 more miles, take a ride at the, the one-legged chicken and you'll be there. Um, and so it's way out there. And so I didn't know what to expect, but basically he went through with a chainsaw, bah, 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 and he's like, drag those things down to the baler. Like, where's the baler? He said, here's some binoculars. You can see it. And it was a long way. And so I, I, I'm full of energy. I'm young. I'm a young man. I'm 13. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like dragging the tree down the hill. I'm like, this ain't so bad. Uh, four hours later, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was, I had no idea. I was like, I started resenting trees by name. I was like, Fraser fur. Awesome. I don't know anymore. Uh, so uh, there, <laughs> spruce. Uh, so I'm dragging these things, and I'm just like, and then your, your adrenaline kicks in, and I'm dragging. I'm running with two down the hill, and then 30 seconds later, I can't even pick up the needles of one. I'm like, this is awful. We break for lunch, one hour lunch. They boiled us hot dogs. I don't know. I'm not against boiled hot dogs. But this day, I was like, of all the slaps in the face, put it on the grill, for goodness sake. You got George Foreman? Boiled hot dog. You just go ahead and pour the hot dog water in a cup for me. I'll finish that off. Gross. And some stupid chips that are like great value chips. I'm like, get out of here. Shasta. Nothing. This guy spent $3 on six guys to eat. It was awful. I'm done. I work this thing like 12 hours. It's nuts. And it's the hardest... Intense labor I'd done at that point, which 
was none, but I was really, and I got home, I'm stuck to everything, the sap, I can't even like move, I'm stuck at the front door for about 20 minutes, so my dad pries me off, come on in buddy, and so I had a turpentine shower, it was just the worst, let me tell you how much this guy paid us, $25, I, to this day, I'm still planning my revenge. I'm like, this guy's Christmas tree farm is going to burn. I'm sorry, that's a a bad thing for a pastor to say. Um, Stupid rope belts. And so um, uh, I was like, Twitty. I was so, from that moment on, I hated that guy's guts. I was like, this guy is the least Jesus-like human I've ever met in my life. He's like, hey, pal. I was like, you get out of here, buddy. Uh, $25. And so I'm reading this, I'm reading this, uh, this story afresh. And that, that, that comes up in my mind. I'm like, I know the feelings of unfairness and it had nothing to do with it. Everybody got paid 25 bucks. So it had nothing to do with anybody getting paid more. It just was unfair. And I realized I did not make an agreement with him for how much this was going to be. But the first laborers did. They weren't surprised by their wage. They were surprised by somebody else's wage. And so there's two incredibly uh, important distinctions in this parable, or there's one distinction that's incredibly important. And in fact, the word parable, uh, it, it speaks to a comparison, two things being compared side by side. There is this really important comparison that's happening in this parable. There is a comparison between an agreed-upon wage and an unexpected, undeserved gift. Those are the two things that are being contrasted here. The agreed-upon wage and the undeserved gift. So the agreed-upon wage happens with the first laborers. The unexpected gift happens with the last ones. This This is what Jesus says with the parable. Friend, am I doing, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? We agreed upon that. Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your your eye envious because I'm generous? But you're not generous with me. You're generous with him. I don't like that. So the last will be first. The first will be last. The Old Testament and, and this is part of, we got to kind of go back to the OT to really understand uh, the imagery here, some of the imagery. In the Old Testament, we get references to Israel being compared to a vine or a vineyard. And, and it's, it's, you see it in, in Psalms, you see it in the book of Isaiah. And, and Jesus actually continues this word picture in his teachings. Uh, we all know, abide in the vine, you're the vine, we're the branches. And so he continues with this idea of of. Uh, us being a vineyard or a vine. Psalm uh, 80, verses 8 through 9 says this. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared ground for it. It took deep root and it filled the land. This is obviously Exodus. And we're talking about the Israelites being led out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of slavery. And in, in here we have the psalmist comparing it to this is a vine being led out of Egypt. During that exodus, uh, we all know the story. They wandered in the wilderness. 
uh, for 40 years. There was uh, a, a lot of grumbling and complaining because who wants to wander in the wilderness for 40 years? And so at some point they were like, can we just go back to Egypt? And that was hell, but at least we knew where we were and where we're going, and we knew where our next meal was going to be. Uh, we're having to pray for stuff to show up on the ground to eat. Uh, this is insanity. And so there was plots to overthrow Moses. It was really dramatic. And so finally, this is their, this is their conversation with God. Okay, enough already. Walking and living by faith is for the birds. Whatever you ask of us, we can surely do. Just give us the diagram. Give us the rules. Give us the check boxes. Give us control. Give us the expectations and let us do it. Stop leading us around. So God said, okay, if that's what you want, that's when God gave the law. The law of Moses was given through Moses. He was the FedEx guy that delivered God's perfect law to the Israelites. And so that's when the law of God started. Right there, there was an agreement made. There was an arrangement made. This was where the wage was agreed upon. We'll do everything right. You reward our rightness. Deal. So when this story hearkens to uh, a laborer uh, having an agreed upon wage, working the work, getting the, the wage, that's what we're talking about. Then, many years later, there is this this new opportunity for people who were not in on that agreement, who were outside of that agreement. We've got people who are Gentiles. We've got people who are Samaritans. We've got people of other tribes and tongues. We've got people that aren't part of the bloodline of the children of God. Of, 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 they're not in the bloodline of Abraham. They're not part of this agreement. And so all of a sudden the door flings open These are the 11th hour workers where Jesus says, come on in. In fact, the eternity that I promised them, you get too. That's the symbolism that we're looking at. It's part of the symbolism that we're looking at. So we're realizing as we're reading this. So religion demands that we shoulder the burden of the law of Moses. That's what religion demands. Your performance is continually under review. You better work all day, and you better do the perfect job. But here's something that we need to understand as believers, Christians, under the new covenant, as we sit here today. And I don't know your church background. I don't know your church experience. I don't know your experience in religion. I have no idea. But I wager to say it's probably along the lines of do good, get good, do bad, get bad. It's sort of a Christian version of karma. Karma, 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 karma chameleon. And we come and go, you know. I'm, just, I'm sorry, that's enough. Um, <laughs> come and go, Christians. So we, we are probably of the mind that, that God's approval of us is outstanding based on con- continual job reviews. So if you do enough, you try hard enough, you, if you're nice enough, if you're good enough then you're going to get uh, a thumbs up for the day, clock in, clock in tomorrow, we'll see how you do. This arrangement of the agreed-upon wage 
is not our arrangement. And this, this is where the story starts to take on new life. It could be offensive, it can be frustrating, it can be infuriating. But it's infuriating and frustrating because we think we're the 12-hour workers. It's really frustrating if you're the 12-hour worker. But here's the, the revelation. We're not. We're the 11th-hour guys. That's us. You might be looking at me like, Chris, I have a good work ethic. I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your work ethic is. This agreed-upon wage was made with people that weren't us. It was God's covenant with people, the people of Israel, the children of Israel. And then Jesus fulfilled that commitment. In fact, Jesus stepped in and worked a 13-hour day. He worked a 25-hour day. He did everything perfectly. And then he credits that to all the rest of the workers. So it's only when we realize that we're not the first, we're the last, that this story starts to make some sense. When the focus shifts from the deservedness of the worker to the goodness of the giver. This is not a story about the deservedness of workers. It's about the goodness and the generosity of the giver. That he would credit to us his performance, despite the fact that we can never do enough to earn what he gives us. That's when we begin to well up with gratitude. The the very next section of Scripture, right after this story, and Jesus puts an exclamation point on it. He says, the first are the last, and the last are the first. In other words, the deserving get what they deserve. But those that are undeserving, his heart is to give us what we don't deserve. If we, if we like titles for messages, I will, I will put this title on this message today. Jesus is unfairly good. He's unfairly good. This story is unfair, but the, the unfairness isn't what we think it is. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wage of sin. But the free gift that he gives us of his righteousness is eternal life in Christ. Immediately after the story, Jesus starts talking about what's going to purchase this unfair gift. The price of this unfair gift. His end of the bargain. His work. At one point, the disciples asked Jesus, how do we work the works of God? He says, believe in him who he has sent. Believe that I'm doing my job. That's your job. What's his job? He talks about it right here. Matthew 20, 17 through 19. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. The son of man is going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, crucified, and he will be raised again on the third day. This is so first question, Peter, is this going to pay off for us? Jesus answer. Yes. But with the story, he explains, yes, 
but it's not going to be a, a, it's not going to be a reward for your work. Je- Peter says, "Is the reward worth the sacrifice?" Jesus says, "Yes, but the reward is not going to be for your sacrifice. Your reward is going to be because of my sacrifice." That's what we're talking about here. This is the third time that Jesus tells his disciples he's going to die. This is the first time he mentions the cross, crucifixion. He'd never mentioned that. That was a new twist to this whole story. And so um, that's a somber moment. Just think about that. You're following Jesus around, and he makes it clear. We're, we're on our way to the end. We're going to Jerusalem. This is when it's going to go down. It's about to happen. This somber, tense moment And all of a sudden, in the next verse, we're introduced to a brand new character. James and John's mom pops out of nowhere. Hi, y'all! Jesus, what y'all doing? Where'd she come from? I brought some mashed potatoes. Now, Jesus, my boys, they're good boys. Let me tell you about them. This is what it says here. I'm not going to do the whole reading in that voice, though. That's kind of my Paula Dean voice, by the way. Y'all want some butter? Uh, I'm sorry. That's not nice. Um, <laughs> so it's like, I don't like this church. Um, verse 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee went up to Jesus with her sons, <laughs> dragging her sons, mom, and kneeling before him. She asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? (laughs) She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said, yeah, we're able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left, uh, that is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the, the ten heard it, the other ten, they were indignant about the two brothers. I don't know if they were mad at them for asking or they were mad that their moms didn't show up and ask for them. Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Who would be first among you must be your slave. First, last, last, first. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Mom shows up looking for VIP seating for her kids. Um, Now, this sort of goes along with the throne conversation that Jesus had earlier. He says to Peter, it's all going to pay off. We're going to have thrones. And and then uh, the mom says, yeah, but in the thrones, can my boys have the one right next to you? Can they have the VIP seating? Now, it's, in, it's easy to, to make fun of mom here. But I'll say this. this. This is a great mom. And this 
mom's heart is good. And I think Jesus wants to be nice to her so bad that he never even talks to her. If you notice, the attention turns. He, he, turns, he turns to the kids. He turns to James and John and says, You guys, do you honestly think you can drink the cup? The cup of suffering I'm about to drink. And they said, Yes. Well, James was martyred and, and John is, 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 is exiled, Patmos. And so they experience suffering for being followers. So, yes, you're going to suffer. But you can't take on what I'm about to take on. There's no way. This speaks to this little section of Scripture. Again, it's easy to detach and you know, not relate to, this, to what's happening. But if you really are honest with yourself, this speaks to our own personal desire for elevation, for priority, for prominence, for celebrity, for, for recognition, for significance. We all want that. We all want to be elevated. We all want to be recognized. We all want to hear the well done. Good job. You did great. Here's the pay raise. Here's the promotion. We all crave that. We're all about gaining everything, earning everything. But Jesus is shifting the perspective within us, within his disciples, and he's shifting it to not what it's all about for us and what we can expect, but what he's about to go through and what he deserves. He shifts the conversation. You guys, we want the priority seating. We want the VIP seating. We want prominence. We want elevation. And then Jesus says, okay, let me tell you about me. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is not a picture of celebrity and elevation prominence. Jesus is a picture of servanthood, humility, losing everything, not, not gaining everything. And losing everything so that everyone else can gain. This is what, I love this. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. And I'm going to give just a couple quick scriptures as we wrap up here. Philippians 2, 4 through 8. Let each of you look not only at your own interest but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself out by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So in our minds, we're thinking, how can I be recognized? How can I be elevated? How can I be lifted up? And here's Jesus running the opposite direction to say, this is how I'm going to die. I'm not gaining, but I'm going to lose. I'm going to be emptied, the Bible says. Uh, I was reading, I was studying this, getting ready for today. And this scripture kept just coming back to me in and, and, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And I, I was like, how beautifully everything that we read today is so encapsulated and captured in this beautiful verse uh, by, written by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2. And it sort of modernizes in a way. It kind of fast forwards and brings uh, this whole conversation. And this all happened before Jesus was crucified. All this happened before uh, the new covenant was actualized for these disciples. 
And then we fast forward and we, we get to the New Testament church. We get to this new life, new experience that we have today. But it speaks to the same things that he was talking about with his disciples. So this is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And we'll wrap up with this. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Pause there. So if we're wondering, are we good laborers? Are we efficient workers? We weren't good. We weren't bad. We were dead. Dead men can't work. <laughs> dead men aren't that good. Dead men aren't that bad. Dead men are dead. We weren't bad. We were dead. So he made us, when we were dead in our trans- trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with us, with him, seated with us in heaven, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Pause again. Salvation, you being a part, you being part of God's family, you experience eternity with the Father, your security that that when you go, you are with Him, has nothing to do With one thing that you have done. You have done nothing to punch your ticket to eternity with with the Father. Nothing. You can't punch the ticket. You can't unpunch the ticket. There's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. Nothing. What this is saying is there is no way for you. Jesus says it to about the rich young ruler. What's impossible with man is only possible with God. He has made a way where there is no way. So it is not by your works. It is not by your performance. It's not by your good deeds. It's not by being a nice little person. It's not being a karma, karma, karma chameleon. Christian, it is not that. It is not agreed upon wage. It is only a generous, unexpected, extravagant gift. By grace, through faith. We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. What's the purpose? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. There's sort of, if you read this carefully, there's this kind of glowing contradiction in terms. Where the Apostle Paul is really, he's emphasizing, this ain't about works. But you need to get to work. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. You read this parable of the laborers, the workers in the vineyard. And uh, a couple of things that are important to point out. Number one, the encouragement by the landowner was come be a part. Show up. There is emphasis placed on presence. In fact, the, last, the question was asked of the last workers, why are you there 
and not here. You need to be a part. Presence matters. This, this is throughout the entire Bible. This is not in an individual spiritual pursuit. We're not on individual spiritual quests. We don't separate to go find ourselves. This is the family of faith, especially the family of faith. Come be a part. Presence is absolutely paramount. The second thing is, there is work. Presence matters. Work matters. But the work had nothing to do with the reward. There's got to be another reason for it. We're laborers. We show up. We're part. We are, our presence matters. We are a part of this thing. He welcomes us into this thing. We are part of something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our own lives, bigger, bigger than our, our nuclear families, bigger than our own job pursuits and career opportunities, bigger than our hobbies and our, our, our loves and our passions, bigger than all that. We are part of the body of Christ, uniquely held together by what every joint supplies. He is the head. We are the body. We're part of the vine. To use that analogy one more time, we abide in the vine. We are the, he is the vine, we are the branches. We're together in this. And so we are also created. We are his workmanship. He made us to do good works. But we are not working for our own elevation. We don't work for our glory. We don't work for our recognition. We don't work for our name to be in lights. We don't work to have our name out there and to be celebritized. We don't work to do good things so that we can make it a PR thing and, and take a selfie while we're serving somewhere so everyone knows how good we are. This is, not, this is not something that we do to elevate self. We work for the glory of God. We work to, to shine a light on who and what he is and look what the Lord's done for us. We work in order to share his love, his grace with as many people as possible. That's the work. So, when, when the Apostle Paul says here, we are his workmanship, we are created for good works. That is synonymous with the idea of love. We're created to love and serve our neighbor. Love will make you do. Love does. There's a beautiful book by Bob Goff that I love. It's called Love Does. Man, I love people. I love people. And Jesus blessed people. Can you help me move? No, I'm, no, I'm busy. But I love you. Love does. Love gives. And love does. So we're his workmanship. We're created for good, good works. And I love that. I can't leave out this last part as we close. And Jesus created us for good works. And then God prepared beforehand opportunities that we walk into that he set up. So we're now out there making it happen. All we're asked to do is to be what he's made us to be in that moment. That's it. When you, as you go, go into all the world, and you don't have to be anything that you're not. You're not asked to be anything that you're not. 
In fact, you're asked to be exactly who and what you are, what he's made you. You are his workmanship. He's handcrafted you perfectly to bless, love, serve, elevate, make this world a better place, and show people who Jesus is. We work not for our glory, we work for his. This whole kind of beautiful painting that Jesus paints with his disciples, using parables, using uh, opportunities with a couple of the disciples' mom, using all this, everything that he has shared here, it's just to show us that, hey, the sacrifice is definitely worth the reward, but the, the reward is not because of your sacrifice, and the reward is not just for you, it's to share. You have, you have received the goodness of God, now your job is to share it. He's unfairly good. Let's show the world how good he is.